Praise the Lord. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll just tell you, I've been working on this for some time. I feel clearly directed by the Lord in this area, but yet the part that everybody anticipates us getting to, we start talking about the arm of the Lord. We're not getting there today, okay? We're just talking about, this the whole passage talks about the whole armor of God, but we're not getting to that point today. There's some things that I may not be preaching to you, but I may be talking to you about. Is that okay? There's some areas I just want us to get real about. Because until we get real, as the people of God, we really can't accomplish what God wants us to do. Um, I went through a study one time, and y'all may have heard of this study, I'll just let, but it was a study called True Faced. There's a book that's out there, True Faced. Anybody heard of that? Um, what brought it to mind recently was we saw that video with the young adults called uh, The Heart of Man. If you've got Netflix, it's now on Netflix. It's available on Amazon Prime. But it's a, it's a, a Christian video, really um, deals with some nitty-gritty things. It, 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 it talks about some of the struggles that people went through in life and how the enemy attempted to ensnare people or how he works to ensnare people in habits and behaviors. And, and some of the things would not be appropriate for younger kids to hear. Uh, and it's even hard to say that because really some of the people, are t they're talking about things that happen when they're kids. But I wouldn't necessarily sit down with young kids and do it. But in older teenagers or young adults, um, um, Caleb Houston brought that to attention. And now I'm seeing it all over the place. Um, but in that video, it talks about there, there are people in there that are sharing their life story. And they're talking about some of the ensnarements that happened early in their life that was strategically placed in their life to keep them from being able to accomplish what God had called them to do. There, there was one lady that's mentioned in there that she experienced such painful things in her early life that she said that by age five and six, she didn't realize it until she was a young adult, but she experienced such painful things at age five and six that, that actually by age five and six, she had become a molester. She was doing things at that age to other children that she heard adults talking about that had been perpetrated on them when they were young. And they were talking about how an adult had done that to them. And she realized, I was doing that to other kids when I was that age, five and six years old, because she had been, been so much a part of her life. And, you know, I'll, I'll just tell you, as the body of Christ, we miss powerful opportunities to minister to people where they have the deepest need. Because people look at our lives sometimes and they just say, well, they're, they're so perfect or they're so far above me that they'll never understand what I'm going through. God has the powerful ability to take, we talked about the ashes of our life or the broken parts of our life, and when we put it in his hands, he's able to transform it and make it a powerful tool for being able to minister to people because there's hurting people out there. They don't know what it's like to be healed. If we've been hurt, but we've been healed, we have the opportunity to be able to share that testimony with people and give them hope. I was in a men's meeting years ago, uh, a singles, young adults thing, and they were talking about some of the struggles that they had been through, and I was able to share with them how God had helped me in that area God had preserved me, protected me, and, and they, I said, look, I don't want anybody here to feel bad because you're all expressing what you're dealing with, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and they, I'm not 
I, I'm, I, God's dealt with that in me. And they, they said, no, 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 please. You don't understand. The very fact that you're able to tell, tell us that there's freedom gives us hope. You know, and sometimes we're trying to hide. Uh, okay, we are not the old man anymore. Okay, if we're in Christ. We're not the old man anymore. There may be habit patterns that God's still breaking off of us because we haven't realized that we're, we've been set free from that, but God's freeing us of those things. But the reality is we need to tell people that there's the potential for being free. If we don't sometimes express, we find someone that's struggling with something, we just say, look, I know what you're going through. I, I, was, I struggle with that myself. But a lot of the times we're trying to preserve the, the Christian persona to a degree, and I'm not... <laughs> Please don't take this wrong. But sometimes we mask ourselves so people don't even think that we're real because we're, we're living out the life of Christ, and that's what we need to do. But we also need to let people know, but yes, well, we've come a long way. I, this is not the way I've been my whole life. So there's a book out there. It's called True Faced. And it talks about the fact that a lot of times when we meet people, especially when we're in church or things like that, that we walk up, well, how you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm doing just great. I'm, praise God, I'm doing just fine. And we're... The whole time we're wrestling with stuff in life, but we're not being real. Okay, can I, I want to, I feel like there needs to be, uh, this may hit some people wrong, okay? But understand, I don't mean to hurt anybody, and I don't mean to, to undermine anything, but I want to say this. There, there, there's a difference between a statement of faith and denial. Okay. Sometimes we need to say, I'm dealing with this, but God can set me free and God can help me with that. But sometimes we never open the door for ministry. I remember one time standing right here in the back and somebody said, look, would you please speak to my husband? And a mom had said, would you please speak to my son? Because they're really going through something. And so I purposely walked. I, I was over here. I saw him at the back. And this has been several years ago, so it's not current. I'm not talking about anybody right now. I walked all the way to the back. All those people I shook hands with, I wonder if I'm talking about them. I walked to the back, and I shook the hand. I said, look, I just want to talk to you. You know, how, how are things going? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I said, are you sure? Is everything? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing I couldn't get beyond the mask. He wouldn't open up and just share, man, I lost my job. You know, I'm going through a really tough time. I, I don't, I just can't get my legs underneath me. I can't, because a lot of times in church, we don't want people to, we're afraid people are going to see us and be real. Folks, we, we can't really do ministry until we get real with people. Look, we have everything that God's provided for us in life, and we're in the process, process of taking hold of that and incorporating into our lives and growing in that, but we miss a lot of ministry to ourselves, and we miss a lot of opportunities to minister to other people when we're not real with them. And I'm not talking about doom and gloom and, you know, everybody just... But we're, we can be in the middle of a storm but be alive with hope. I may be going through the, the most difficult time of my life, but my faith in Jesus Christ is not anyhow wavered by that. I can stand strong but still be in the middle of a storm. But I know that because hope has taken possession of me, that I know that there's another day coming. I may be weathering the storm, but there's a, a bright sunny day on the other side. And God gives us the strength for that. 
And I haven't gotten to the scripture yet. I do want to get to that scripture. But, folks, I want us to be, can we be real with one another? Look, everybody's got a different perspective on things, and I'm just speaking real personal. I know that there are some people who would probably like to see their pastor dressed. I haven't had anybody express this here. But with regards to churches in general, people wanted their pastor to have a tie and a suit on. Good luck with that. Because uh, I want to be real. I'll tell you, what, what I'm trying to get across today possessed me so much today, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I... And I don't, look, I don't even have a desire to do this, okay? So, <sighs> breathe deeply. But I thought, I wonder what would happen if I showed up today in a t-shirt and blue jeans. That's what I was wearing yesterday. But, okay, as a pastor, I've got enough church in me that I don't, you know, that, that would really probably make my hair go or something like that. It would be hard for me to do that. But I thought, just being real. But I didn't want to get up here and be a spectacle and that distance people from what they're doing. I feel completely fine the way I'm dressed today. I'm going to tell you, I grew up wearing a tie to first grade. I wore ties all the way through eighth grade. So Cecilia used to get on me because I would come to church in a, in a coat and tie and go home to the house after church and have a little time before lunch. And I'd get out there and go split wood and I'd still have my coat and tie on. Can you at least get changed? I'm like, well, I just, I just happened to pick up the axe. I didn't mean to do it. But another, I'm, I'm very comfortable in a tie, okay? And I'm very comfortable like this. I, I, I won't be coming in a, a T-shirt, but I, I just want us to be real with one another. If you're going through something, you don't have to sugarcoat it. You can say, it's been a tough week. Man, my wife, you can talk about your No, you don't do that. You, but you can, you can share what you're going through. It's not going to diminish how we feel about you. Do you understand that? I, I want to remove any type of sense that you have to come in here and polish up and, and not deal, talk about the things that you're dealing with. Can we just walk together and deal with the issues of life together? I want to walk with you. I want that journey together. I want us to pray about it together. I want us to celebrate the victories together. But I don't want us to carry the baggage around with a mask on saying everything that's okay and never get to the point where we get to deal with the real issues of life. Because the enemy beats us there. Because we're trying to be that person that we feel like everybody else thinks that we have to be. We're on the inside, the enemy's, it's like, it's like there's a, I, I got a splinter in my finger the other day. I don't remember what I was doing, but I got a splinter in my finger. And it was just that little, little thing in there. But I hadn't taken the time to get the needle to get it out. And I kept picking it on things. <laughs> and it was such a little thing compared to my whole physical stature. But that little thing, every time I caught it, it completely changed my frame of mind. It completely adjusted my thought process because that little thing was still digging at me, Heidi. It kept digging at me until I finally took the needle and dug it out. And then I was on the road to recovery. But you know, there's a lot of us that are going through life and there may be things that seem big to us because they completely 
control our thought process. They completely redirect our thoughts. But the reality, compared to the grace of Christ, it's just a little thorn that's in there, but it keeps snagging on us, and the enemy keeps pushing at it and pushing at it, and it takes our complete attention. And if we would just take the time to pray about it and look at it and ask God for God's help, it may be that God can help pick it out. And then life continues. Haven't got to the scripture yet, have I? All of this is in line, though. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've already been there. In the power of his might. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, put on every, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. I like the way it said that. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing. And then it says, stand your ground. I just want to let you know that the context of this and what it's talking about, and I know that different versions say it a little bit differently. Again, I'm in the New Living Translation. But I wanted to get to that. Number one, it says that we're supposed to put on the armor of God we're going to get to the armor of God, okay? We're not going there today. We're going to get to the armor of God. That armor of God is able to put out the fiery darts of the enemy. It's able to stop what the enemy is doing against us. It is the equipment that we need. God supplied us well. But one thing that we have to do, it says that we have to resist the enemy, we have to resist the enemy. We can't cower in the face of the enemy. We can't just accept the fact that what we're dealing with is the norm. If we don't recognize an enemy's attack, then we just assume that that's our lot in life. We're just going to have to deal with that our whole life. But the, the, the scripture instructs us that we must resist the enemy. Resisting means we recognize what the enemy's doing. We understand that that's apart from us and not a part of us. Did you get that? It's apart from us, not a part of us. Even if it's something that happened to you in life, that event is not who you are. It's apart from you, not a part of you. So if there's something that is digging in there and it seems like it's rooted inside of you, sometimes you've got to get in and dig out the root. You've got to deal with that event. You've got to deal with that thought process. You've got to deal with it. You need to recognize that it's a foreign thing, that God did not intend that to be a part of your life. So rather than allowing it to possess you and to restrict your activities or to hinder your thought processes or to reduce what God can accomplish through you, you've got to understand that that is a foreign entity. It is a parasite that's attached itself to your life to drain the life from you. You've got to learn to resist the enemy in those areas. Is that thought a godly thought? Is that thought a thought that lines up with God's word? Is that thought something that is a part of God's purpose and plan for your life? Is it a blessing to that plan or is it a hindrance of that plan? If it's a hindrance to that plan, 
This does not stick on this podium. If it's a hindrance to God's plan, we need to root it out and stop it. If people's words that they're speaking over you or their remembrances of who you are that they keep dragging you back into or telling you that you are no good or that you're no count or that you are a bad person, but, but all the time God's telling you that you're redeemed, that you've been made in his likeness, that you've got the mind of Christ, if they keep reminding you of your past and when the Bible is trying to tell you about what God created you for, you've got to root it out. Resist the enemy. The enemy has got plans out there to try to, to, to trap us and keep us down. I, I, just the other day, I, I, I've seen... Um, I know a lot of us are familiar with this, and this may be a side thing, but I felt like the Lord just took me there in my, my thoughts, so I need, need to go, need to deal with this. I have been to the Kruger National Park in South Africa. I've been to a lot of different parks, but one of the things that, of, of course, you, you're well aware, well aware of is that the ivory trade, the rhino horn trade, you may not be well aware of it, but it goes on. Anyhow, they're killing the elephants, they kill the rhinos for the horn. The whole animal has lived out that many years, and they kill it for the horn. I, I, when I was about 21, I got in that four-wheel drive Toyota pickup and went down to a local game park, locked down the four-wheel drives, and went off-road. And I came across, uh, in a wide open area, there was this ceremony-type thing going on, and they had um, a pile of ivory standing up, leaned up against one another, piled up on top that was at least as big as this whole section and they had it all piled up. They had news cameras out there and everything. You can go online right now today. Don't do it right now, but later today. And pull up this event that I came upon where they burned over $6 million worth of ivory. Just It was captured ivory, but in order to show the poachers that they were not going to allow profit to come from the ivory trade. I mean, literally, you can go online and find the picture of that where they burned this thing, and I'm just a little 21-year-old riding around in a, in a pickup truck, and I came upon that event and saw them doing that. Uh, but it was a big international news thing. But, you know, there are a lot of atrocities that, that go on out there. And we were at the Kruger National Park, and one of the things that stood out to me was they had a display of wire snares. These Just a simple little contraption. They've basically taken a cable or taken some wire, and it had to be something that was flexible enough to where it was bendable. And they would twist it around itself and attach it to a tree. Sometimes it's got a spring trap where it flings like this and it catches the animal. But sometimes it's just right there in the path to where they know that this is a game trail where people traffic, you know, the animals traffic here a lot. And as that animal creature comes by, its foot will get caught in that trap. And as it continues to pull against it, the more it pulls against it, it just constricts and constricts and constricts and tightens down on that foot or on the neck, however the animal is caught. The other day I saw a little video of a snake getting caught like that too. But there's all kinds of ways that snares are used in order to entrap and capture. The intent is to kill, but to, to be able to stop that animal from being a getaway so that they can come back, the hunter can come back and destroy But I saw pictures at that, that displayed where there were rhinos, powerful animals, powerful animals, that that snare that had been caught with had just completely eaten into the flesh and it ended up, I mean, it just looked terrible. It was a really grotesque looking thing. And we've heard of, of uh, 
you know, I think they talk about the wolverine. If you ever snare a wolverine, a wolverine will literally chew its leg off in order to get out of that trap because it's determined to be free. It will not be ensnared. And uh, I just want to tell you, there's all kinds of things and all kinds of ways that the enemy lays snares for our lives. What's the intention? One thing is, the the enemy wants to destroy our lives. He wants to take your life. And if he can't take your life, he wants to restrict you from being able to do what God's called you to do. That trap, that trap will ensnare you. It will hold you. It It will maim you. We've got to get free from the entrapment of the enemy. Don't think that that snare that enemies put around your neck is a necklace. Don't think it's a bracelet. Don't think it's something there that's just an adornment for your life. You know, there's people that you'll talk to and they'll gloat about bad things that they've done in their life. They'll laugh about it. They'll talk about it. Sometimes in Christian circles, you'll hear people talking about things like that, and they're laughing about it. I know, we've all got these journeys that we've been through. Sometimes people are talking about it because they're having a hard time with it. I've had people joke around or, or hear them talking, uh, talking to other people, and they'll start confessing things, and they're like putting it out there in front of you, almost like you wonder, are they trying to get me to react or what they're going to do? I think sometimes they're just venting their soul. They've just got baggage on the inside, and they're trying to put it out there to see how people will respond to them. And they're, in other words, it's on their mind, it's in their heart, they've got to talk about it to get it out. And, and in those intersections in life, we've got to come in there with Holy Ghost pliers and, and snip that snare, cut them, cut them free. The equipment that we've been given in the spirit realm, in the power of what, and the blood of Jesus, what Jesus accomplished for us, is more than able to set people free. But God needs a people who will stand up in the identity that he has given us. We have got to be the point man. We've got to be able to go out front. We've got to be willing to speak to people when we come across situations that need to change. Are we willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? He says, resist the enemy in the time of evil. And I love this. And after the battle, you'll still be standing. Then the scripture goes on and says, stand firm then. The whole gist about this is there's a battle raging. There's a battle raging all around us. We're involved in spiritual warfare. There's a battle for our souls. There's a battle for our families. There's a battle for our households. There's a battle in our workplaces. We're in the middle of a battle. There's a fight going on. And it's easy, Heidi, to get weary from that battle. You can get worn out. But this scripture speaks to us of a confidence that once you've fought the battle, at the end of the battle, you're still going to be standing. Stand firm then. Understood. Understand this. It's not a defensive battle that we're fighting. If the enemy can keep us withdrawn and in our safe little place and just wall ourselves in and put the bars up and hallelujah, we're safe. We are safe. then we've really done him a favor. Are you okay with just making it through life and being all right? Are you okay just to say, I'm so glad I made it? 
and realize that the enemy is having the ability to do whatever he wants to outside of our little wall and outside of our little bars. We think that we're keeping him out, but we're really keeping ourselves in. There's a fine line between being safe from the enemy and being imprisoned behind our little safe walls. There's nothing that the enemy would like better for this church than for us to be safe behind our walls and to be content that, that we're okay. As long as we're okay, as long as we've got enough people helping us deal with our issues, we just let all, everybody else kind of do their own thing, and that's not God's intention. This passage says you'll still, you, you'll, you'll still be standing You'll still be standing. And this is stand your ground. But the intent in that is a positive posture of stepping forward, ready to do battle. Because understand, it's not just about the enemy coming after us, but it's about us going after him. Destroying the works of the enemy. Tearing down every stronghold. Strongholds of the mind that are keeping people in, in bondage. Helping people get free from the snares that the enemy has placed in their life. God's called us for this. We're called to be an not offensive, but an offensive army. We're not a defensive army. We're not supposed to be an offensive army, except to the works of the enemy. We're supposed to be on the aggression. We're supposed to be going out there and destroying the works of the enemy. That's what we're called to. Would you turn with, to me with, to Second uh, Peter chapter 1? Verse 2 says this, May God give you more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Why do we need more grace if grace is just unmerited favor? If we've already been saved, why do we need more grace for? Why do we need more peace? If we've already experienced peace and we know that God loves us, that God's embraced us, I'll tell you why. Grace is not just unmerited favor, but it's equipping. The charismata are the gifts of God, and they're called the grace gifts. Grace is not just to get you to salvation, but grace is given so that we will be equipped for the life that we're called to live. We are equipped for the life that we're called to give. It empowers us. Do you know that grace is the word that's also used for the anointed one and his anointing? That God's grace comes on us, the same calling that was on Christ. And Paul, I mean, Peter speaking here, he says, may God give you more and more grace. May we be equipped more and more. May we have more and more of his anointing. If we've had enough anointing today, may we have even more anointing for tomorrow. Because look, we're not here just to live out our lives. We're not just here to get through life. Please don't be in, don't be stuck in maintenance mode with just trying to get through life. 
Don't just try to be on cruise control. Don't just try to be on cruise control. I get so concerned about that that the church become apathetic to where as long as we're just going to church on Sunday and where we're just doing okay, our family's just kind of getting along, and as long as I'm keeping my head above water spiritually, that that's okay. Learn how to swim. Learn how to be good at it. Learn how to fight. Learn how to do things for the Lord. If you Don't, don't just try to have a happy home. Is there a fire in your heart? Is there a passion in your life? What are you living for? What is most important in your life? Are you, are you content just to continue going along as you are? Please don't say yes. Please don't say yes. Do we have a pursuit when it comes to the things of God? The question came to mind this week. And I think it's, it's good to evaluate. How many of you like your yearly evaluation at work? How many of you have yearly evaluations at work? We have to sit down with a supervisor or something like that. Used to, yeah. Uh, how many of you love that evaluation? <laughs> you feel like you're being brought to the grill. You know, like you're being thrown up there and sizzle. Hopefully it's a good experience, and it's always good to get a good review, but sometimes there's a reality check, and it's good when it's something that you can learn from and grow, grow from, but, you know, it doesn't feel good to have someone point out something that you might need to improve upon. But it's good to evaluate. Something that's been difficult for me um, through the years, is to have people that that you've worked with, prayed for, and and feel like you've extended yourself out there in the spirit for, and and been interceding and praying for them. And there are these mountains that they need to climb that they just want to keep walking around instead of going over the top and getting victory over. You know what I'm saying? It's like instead of they have these, they get beyond today's trouble, and six weeks down the road, they're back in the same place. And you are fighting for them, but they're really not willing to deal with the issue and overcome it. And uh, I, I uh, found myself this week thinking about myself and thinking about our church, too. Where, where, where will we be five years from now? And I'm not going to lay out anything to you, but I just want to, I just want, where will we be five years from now? Let's just say we do exactly what we're doing right now. Nothing changes. It just stays where we are. Things are changing. But what if, are we, are we going to be okay? Well, we had a good service that Sunday. We got to worship the Lord. We heard the word of the Lord. We went home. We had lunch. We got a Sunday afternoon nap. That's a David thing. I love that Sunday afternoon nap, by the way. And then we did the same thing next week. We went to work. We worked out our week. That We passed one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. We did the same thing. We're just in a rut. We're in a routine. We're doing the same thing. Folks, if we're not moving towards a goal, if we don't have a mark ahead of us that we're pursuing, we'll find ourselves just going through the same routine. And we start 
perpetuating that hamster wheel that we just go through. It's a cycle. We're up, we're down, we keep going around. And it, that cycle can be a daily cycle, it can be a weekly cycle, it can be a yearly cycle. And you just find that you're in the same place next year that you were in this year. We're just going round and round. And we're happy. We're content. We overcame the struggles that approached us this year. And we're dealing with the same one next year, but that's kind of normal as long as we get over that thing. You know, we get beyond it, but we're not moving forward. We're not taking ground. Well, God's going to change our mindset. We're going to take some ground. We're called to more than a hamster wheel. In ministry, in life, your own personal life, God's got growth for you. God's got strength for you. God's got empowerment for you so that you're not just overcoming your own personal thing. I'm sorry, wrong word. You're not just getting around your problems, but you're overcoming your problems. God's intent is for us to be able to accomplish in his name. This scripture goes on and it says, it says, verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I like it where it says pertaining to life and godliness. God's provided everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. It says here, everything we need for living a godly life. So God has provided everything that we need. It's one thing to have a whole arsenal of weaponry and provision and promises and encouragement and strength and grace and peace available to us. And it's, it's a whole other thing to appropriate what's been provided for us and put it to use. But God's given us everything we need, the scripture says. There's everything we need. We have God's word. It's the manual for life. But we've got to know his word. We need to spend time in his word. It needs to be a part of our daily. It needs to be a part of our... Every week we should know more when we come back together. Every week there should be something that connected with our spirit that bubbles up on the inside that every one of us should be able to share something that they learn from God's word. We don't have time for everybody to share something, you know, but there are places, I mean, in a home group, you got opportunities to be able to share. In a connect group, you got an opportunity to share what God's put on your heart. you got the ability to get on the telephone with someone. Let me just tell you what God told me today, what God shared with me. God's given us his word. God's given us a relationship with him. We've been restored back to relationship with him. God's given us his Holy Spirit it, the very Spirit of God to come dwell inside of us. He's promised wisdom and insight beyond the things that we even know where God can give us direction. We've got what we need. With regards to that five-year process and just thinking about it, I, I want you to take some time. This is getting real again, folks, but we really need to, we need to do this. We... We can't go anywhere as a church if we don't deal with real-life issues. But I'm telling you, if, if, if your marriage is struggling, if you've got financial challenges that you're dealing with, if, if you've got habitual patterns that you're dealing with, 
let's just be real, okay? If you're dealing with those struggles, just, just ask yourself, if things keep going the way they're going, where am I going to be five years down the road? If you're going down the emotional drain, what's five years going to be looking like? If your marriage is struggling, where are you going to be five years from now? Unless you really take the bull by the horns and let's deal with this thing. Let's, okay, I know we haven't been getting along and we've got some differences of opinion and we're struggling with some things, but look, this cycle that we're in is destructive, but I'm committed to this relationship. I want you to understand this bickering back and forth, this squabbling that we're involved in, this is not my heart. I don't want us to be like this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why we can't agree and why we can't have a conversation without it being a fight, but I want you to know, let me take you by the hands for a moment and look you in the eyes. I, I want you to know I'm committed to this relationship and I want to work through this. Whatever's going on, I want us to win and I want us to win together. I'm not trying to win this battle I want us to win this war together. I'm committed to this relationship. If you're, if you're battling, understand those seeds, those thoughts, a lot of times we're reacting to things that that person didn't even mean to say, and they didn't really mean to say it the way that we heard it. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes there are direct attacks and things like that, but there's other things going on. We understand there's a spiritual warfare that's behind and it's wanting to divide and conquer and kill right? Sometimes we're reacting to things that are being perpetrated and spawned up in a spiritual realm, and we may be battling with it down here face-to-face -face with someone that we love, but we're warring with them, and we don't even understand why that's going on. It's because we're fighting a battle. We need to cement and bond those relationships that we desire to, to have in our life and that we need in our life and, and draw together and face those things together and, and walk together in love. Folks, it would be naive of us in a congregation of this size to think that there's not people in here that are struggling with some form of addictive behavior. Are we real? If you are ensnared by some form of addictive behavior, the most likely thing is, number one, you may not even realize it. It may have become just a habit pattern, maybe something that you, it eats at you every time you're involved in it and you feel bad about it and you struggle with it, but you're trying to keep it in a closet because you're keeping it in a closet you can't have freedom. But God wants you free. I want to tell you, as your pastor and as this church, we're willing to link arms with you. I'm willing to walk the journey with you. I want to see you free because God wants you free. That is your inheritance, freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And it may be that you're struggling with this adversary. You've been fighting so long and so hard that you're just weary for the battle. The enemy wants you to think that you're defeated. But I'm going to tell you, there's more grace and there's more peace. And God's given you everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. God's given you every piece of equipment that's necessary. You may not realize that you've got something in the arsenal that's available to you, but God's purpose is to see you free. And if you will just stand up in the fight, if you can't fight that battle on your, your own, call someone, get somebody walking with you, get somebody working with you, but you've got to take a stand. You've got to resist the enemy. If you don't resist, you've already lost the battle. Because the enemy's not quitting because he feels sorry for you.
I want us to get this mindset. I want us to, to, to this needs to, if I could, okay, this is going to seem trivial to some of you, but it's been so blueprinted over my thought process that it's a normal thing for me, okay? This is, may not even seem spiritual to you, and I mentioned it to you before, but God gave it to me, so it's spiritual to me. And that is that as I approach life, as I approach ministry, as I approach my family, there are three different areas. All of these areas relate to the purpose and plan of God in our lives, okay? But we have to evaluate. I've been talking about a five-year looking at that. I look at where we are right now. There's three different areas. One is maintenance, one is maturing, and the other one is multiplying, okay? I know I've shared this, but I'm going to share it again. Because in every area of our life, in our own personal lives, let me ask you this. Do you feel like that you're at a place? Okay, God's got a call in your life. The core of this whole thing that makes it really work is just understanding that there's a purpose and plan for God, of God for our life. There's a purpose and plan for God. There's something that God wants to accomplish with us or accomplish through us. We've got to have an understanding of that because that holds everything together. It's like the hub of the wheel. It holds everything together. We are able to evaluate everything we do, everything we're going to get involved in, everything we're asked to do and say, does that apply to that purpose for my life? Is this in line with what God's plan for my life? If, if it's a distraction and taking me in the other area, maybe I just need to cut it off. Maybe I need to evaluate my time better. But these three areas, let's look at it just a little bit because I want this, to, if you've got taking notes, then you can go back later and look at this. But number one is, as a church, are we maintaining, are we maturing, and are we multiplying? Because they all have to be a part in order for us to be healthy as a body of believers. Number one, five years from now, if we're evaluating maintenance, will our carpet still be clean? Will our structure still be in good repair? Are we maintaining? Do we feel like that we are keeping things going? Okay, I just talked about the structure. What about our youth ministry and our children's ministry and our young adults' ministry and the ministry to the adults and the women and the, the, the men and just the, the, the sanctuary life, what we do together? Are we maintaining? Are five years from now, are we going to be in the same place that we are right now? Number one, we have to be maintaining. If you're not maintaining, you're declining, and we've got to at least be maintaining. This, this applies to businesses. This applies to your personal life. With regards to your physical being, your spirit, your body, and your mind, are you maintaining or are you regressing? Is your physical body, are you spending too much time in the recliner? Are you getting exercise? Are you at least maintaining or are things degrading? What's going on? Are you continuing to press yourself to get better? Or have you just settled for maintenance? In order for us to be healthy, though, my heart is that six months from now, two years from now, we don't just look like this. I, I believe God's got better for us that even though we may be experiencing something completely glorious in the Lord, I still believe there's deeper and there's more. So we've got to be in pursuit of that. So there should be something that's drawing us deeper, that we're pursuing the Lord, that we want to know more as a body, as individuals, that we are endeavoring to mature, 
that we're growing into the calling of God, that we're growing into that purpose of God, that we're going deeper, that we're climbing higher, that we're pursuing something that's more than what we've already attained. I cannot be satisfied with just maintenance. But we also have to maintain. If I'm reading the Bible today, I don't want to lose that two years from now. I've got to keep, there's certain habit patterns that we develop that are good things, and we need to keep those in place. There's also certain habit patterns that we develop we need to cut off and get rid of. We need to be maturing and growing in the Lord. If we are deepening in the Lord, if we're getting a deeper understanding of who we are, if we are pursuing things and we're having even deeper spiritual experiences in our, our sanctuary and, and we are moving and we're growing together and everything like that, but folks, if we're not multiplying, something's not right. We need to multiply. How do we multiply? In more than one way. One, multi one way of multiplication is that we add to. We find someone out there that needs the experience that we are sharing, and we share with them, and we draw them. I hope that what we have in us is infectious enough, in a good way, infectious enough to where they desire fellowship. And it may be that that fellowship happens at the workplace. Church happens in more places than just a sanctuary. It could happen in your workplace. It can be a family member that you have a conversation with. They're going through a difficult time. You share hope, peace, grace with them, and all of a sudden they want to know more about it, and so there's an ongoing dialogue over the telephone. But you're multiplying, okay? Ideally, with regards to a congregation or the body of Christ, when we start sharing our faith, people say, well, where do you, where, you, know, where do you go for strength and encouragement and nourishment and things like that? And understand nourishment doesn't just happen in the house of God. It needs to be happening in your home. But people should be drawn. We should be looking to multiply. Multiplication within the church also happens as Heidi gets an insight. God blesses her with something. What does she do with that insight? She keeps it to herself in a little box and doesn't share with anything because it's a treasure. No. When we get excited about what God does for us, Heidi, we can't keep it in, can we? And so we take the good treasure that we've been blessed with and we divide it. We, we multiply it. I'm going to say it that way because that sounds more positive. We're going to multiply it by sharing it with somebody else and they get encouraged and they're able to share it and multiply it. They keep multiplying out. So all of these areas are, are important. We've got to maintain. We've got to, to keep doing the things that God's told us to do and be persistent in doing the right things and keep going and keep going and keep going. But maintenance is not enough. We've got to mature. I cannot be content with yesterday's victories. If the only testimony that I have is five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but there's not a fresh, ongoing, growing experience of the Lord, I'm just waiting for the grave spiritually. You know what a rut is? An open-ended grave. You're already in it. You just haven't come to the end yet. A rut. I'm going to say it again, a rut. We can't stay in a rut. We've got to be maturing. We've got to be growing. We've got to be pressing ourselves forward. 
How many of you know that anyone that wants to become physically in better shape doesn't doing it by just thinking about it? I finally settled on a pair of glasses, and I got a pair of glasses that got the Nike symbol on the side. You know what? That doesn't make me an athlete. <laughs> you know what it says? It says, just do it, David. Just do it. Get out there and do it. You don't become an athlete because you think about it. You've got to do something about it. You've got to mature, grow, grow, grow. Move deeper in your relationship with the Lord. With regards to physical struggles and things like that, don't just accept it as the norm, as an adornment for your life. Get better at it. Find out how to overcome those things. If there's nutritional things you can do, do those nutritional things. If there are physical things you can do to enhance, do those things. But don't just settle for it. Don't just settle. This is as good as I'm going to get. I'm never going to get any better. Press. Press in. And then whatever spiritual insight you get, whatever you learn, whatever you have that you can share with somebody else, multiply. Reproduce yourself. Pour into the life of somebody else. This is warfare. We are attacking the gates of the enemy. We are destroying the strongholds of the mind. We're setting people free with the freedom we've received from the Lord. This is a godly calling. This is what we're called to do. It is so easy for us to retreat into our little pristine areas and say, but it's too much. I can't handle it. The enemy's too great. Can you imagine Jesus cowering and saying, I'm tired? I can't deal with this battle any longer. The enemy is too much. Can you imagine that? Oh, my goodness gracious. How idiotic. Well, how then we who are the light that he left in the earth, we have been anointed, and Jesus said, even greater works than these? Why do we get so undone about what we see going on in the world? instead of getting stirred up to do something about what's going on in the world. Do we really think it's going to change until the people of God do something about it? Do we really think politics is the answer? Do we think throwing more money at it is going to change anything? We are the people of God. We may not know everything yet, but he said that he's given us everything that we need in life. He's given the equipment. Folks, it's not going to change until we do it in the Lord's strength. We don't need to think the society is just going to get better on its own. It's not going to happen. God's equipped us for that journey. Don't ever mistake knowing for doing. Don't ever mistake knowing for doing. There's a lot of Christians who love to immerse themselves in a cocoon of knowing without ever really doing. I, I know... I know somebody, all names left aside, <clears throat> that due to, this is a young man, but he, he uh, 
was socially introverted. And what he would do was that he would take two or three books with him, big books, when he would go to an event that was a social event. And I knew this person. I'd say, well, why do you have three books? Well, I may have the opportunity to read. And I'm like, well, how are you going to read three of those books at this event? How much time do you have? I'm going to check my time since we're talking about time. How? It says it's only 1038. <laughs> um, I've got lots of time. <laughs> Everybody says, you don't have that much time. Um, but he'd take these three books. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, what would happen, I found out, was that they would go to the event, and while everybody's mingling and talking and going on like that, when there was time to be able to interact, what they were doing was immersing themselves in the book because the identity was coming right here, but there was no interaction like this. And what was happening was that the confidence in how much they knew was justifying the fact that I'm not interacting and I know more and this is becoming my persona, the books, instead of the relationship. Knowing is not the same thing as doing. You may know a whole lot and you may be completely captivated by that, but something that was interesting to me, you remember that story, and I know I've told it before, but there was a guy that was a, you know, don't, don't quote the theology on this, and please don't judge me on this story, okay, because I, I, I heard it, I didn't write it. But a guy that was amassed a huge fortune down here on the earth, he, he had a whole lot of wealth, and God felt like it was his time to go, so God sent an angel, again, don't judge me on the theology, okay, sent an angel down to go get him and take him up to heaven. And so the angel comes knocking on the door and says, look, said, this, God wants you to come be with him. It's time for you to go to, go, go to heaven. And he said, can, can we just put it off just a little bit? I'm, I'm not quite ready. I got some things I need to get together before I go. I'm not packed. And can you just hold off just a little bit? And so the angel's like, that's uh, kind of not, not really the way we normally do things, but let me check. And so anyhow... The angel goes back up to heaven to find out, and God says, no, I really, I'm ready. I, I want him. It's, it's his time. He needs to come on. And so the angel goes back down, and uh, the guy's back down there. He's still packing. He's, he's, not, he's not packed yet. And so it ends up that after a period of time, this angel goes up and says, God, I keep trying to go get him. This is my second time down there, but he's, he's resisting me. He's got something that's real important to him. He needs to get together down there. So anyhow... Angel comes back down a third time to get him, and look, this is the third and final time. You've got to go, and the guy's, okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm packed. And so he's got these suitcases that he loads up, and he, he carries with him, and uh, he gets to heaven, and they get to heaven with all the splendor of heaven like that. And, and anyhow, he's got his suitcases, and the angel says, look, I just want to ask you a couple of questions here. Number one, he said, I've never had an experience like this before normally, you know, when I'm sent on a commission like that, I'm, just, I'm able to bring the people right on up to heaven. But here you waited for the third time, something you had to get. To. What was so important that you had to get together, that you had to carry with you to get to heaven? He said, well, look, I, I, I just worked so hard my whole life. I had to pack a few things. And so he opens the suitcases. And here there's all these bars of gold, suitcases just filled with, with gold. You know, he brought his wealth with him. And the angel looked back at me and said, 
You mean you, you hesitated so that you could bring pavement? <laughs> Streets of gold. The things that we value down here when we get to heaven, the evaluation may be a lot different. And let me talk to you, church. Let me, let me, let's just being real, okay? Jesus left a commandment for us. He said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, he's got to be number one. The next thing was, love your neighbor as yourself. He simplified all of the commandments into those two things. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And he was able to capsulize that so that we could look at our lives and say, am I, am I, am I doing it right? That's an evaluation thing. As spiritual people, people that believe in the life of the Holy Spirit, listening to the Spirit, doing what the Holy Spirit says, it's also important that, that our spiritual experience and our spiritual insight, what we hear from the Spirit, what we do in the Spirit, also needs to be grounded by what we have in the Word. Because if we start hearing and doing things out here that is not based in Scripture, then we're getting off on some kind of spiritual tangent. We can get into danger. We can get into delusion. I know a couple of intercessors that showed up at a, a minister's house that I know. He's married and happily married with his wife, and these two intercessors showed up on the, the store, doorstep, and they said, you know, we, we just really feel like God told us to come here and, and pray for you because of your ministry and things like that. He said, well, come on in by all means. Glad to have you here. You know, here's the living room. Make yourself at home and just pray whatever you want. And so they spent several hours praying in the house, and after they'd been there for several hours, she said, I feel like I've got a word from God for, for you. And he said, I'm... These are spiritual people, okay? These, are, these people have been around for a long time. And, and the, one of the, the ladies said to the man, said, look, uh, God has showed me in prayer that you need to divorce your wife because the intention is for, for you to marry me, and then we'll continue in marriage together. If you want to hear something in the spirit realm, you'll hear something in the spirit realm, but you better make sure it's grounded in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, I want to hear the Spirit of the Lord, but when it comes to the point where that's stepping outside of biblical truth of what we find written in God's Word, okay, you've gone into error, and you need to recognize that. Sometimes spiritual pride will say, no, I'm, you know, I heard it. Well, yes, you may have heard it. Uh, a, a, a prophet that I know said that a lot of times the trouble with Christians is that Christians are able to see and hear and to into this may sound strange to some of them, but like they can sense and hear in the spirit realm, but they're not discerning beyond that into the realm of God. Because there, there's, there is another dimension. There's a spiritual dimension out there that is a spirit realm, but it's not God's realm, okay? And so it's important that when we are perceiving and when we're hearing for God, that we're also stepping into that dimension where we know that we're fellowshipping, that we're walking with God and not just in an area of delusion. I hadn't planned on getting into all of that, so... Our spiritual insight needs to be grounded in God's word. It must line up with God's word. If it goes divergent from that, we need to, to, we need to, to correct that error and allow correction to come to us as well. But what I'm trying to get to is when we get to heaven, whatever baggage we bring, hopefully treasure of our true nature, 
There's probably a lot of things that we valued here on the earth. We spent a whole lot of time sowing into a whole lot of things that seem really important to us. When we get to heaven, we're going to realize all of that was just filthy rags. It's not really that valuable after all. And I'm sure that I look at my life and think there were things that I spent time doing that really I wasted God's time. I wasted opportunities that God had for me. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better at it. I'm, I'm pursuing that more. I don't want to waste my time. I want to do the most important things. If God has blessed you with a wealth of spiritual insight, if God's given you voluminous knowledge of the things of the kingdom of God and things that God can and wants to do, knowing is not the same as doing. We're not called just to know. We're supposed to be doing. When we get to heaven, God's not going to look at us and say, well, how much do you know? I know him. That gets me in the door. But what have we done with what we have known? What treasure have we brought with us? There's only one treasure that God's really interested in on the earth, and that's mankind. God's not concerned about the gold and the stuff. God's not concerned about libraries. God's concerned about what have we done with regards to impacting hearts and lives of people. Knowing is not the same as doing. We need to be doers of the word, not just knowing the word. Amen? This life's a journey. There was a, a time in my life where I ran track. I ran sprints. I was terrible at distance, but I ran sprints. And I ran relay. Did you? There's a whole lot of preparation that comes into that, but it all comes down to standing on the line and that gun firing. But you know what we practiced specifically in the e relay? We know what we practiced over and over and over and over and over again because it all became meaningless unless we turned to learn to do this right. We practiced the passing of the baton. The position of the hand, how quick you had to start running, and how you had to get to the place to where you're matching step with the person that you're passing to. They had to get to the speed that you're running at. You had to make sure that you're lining up with them, that they're running in step with you before you could pass the baton onto them so that you didn't lose momentum in the race. You didn't want to drop the baton because then it was a loss. You were scrambling to try to find the baton, it's subject to stumble out of the lane, and then you're, you're disqualified, but you had to pass the baton to the next person so they could continue the journey. That speaks volumes to us in the Christian life, too. Look, it was many years ago that the gun fired. This race has been going on for some time. But for generations, there have been believers that have run before us and have run as hard and as determinedly and as prepared as they could to be able to pass the baton from generation to generation to generation. 
As believers, with baton, the baton now in our hand, we cannot falter in this race. We cannot be half-hearted in how we run. We cannot be ill-prepared in what we do. We've got to have our mind and our hearts and our lives focused on the prize. Understanding that our, our goal here is not just to run well. But we've got to find someone ahead of us that we can work with so that they're ready to receive that baton and so that we're ready to place it in their hands in such a way that they can take hold of it. That we've got to learn to match step with them and close that gap but come in such a way that we are ready together to pass the baton. Understand, folks, a part of that multiplying, a part of that duplicating, a part of that reproducing ourselves means that we find somebody else. Jody, for you, you're working with your sons and Lori with your, your daughter. You're learning to, you're passing a baton. You're raising them up, teaching them to do the things that you know how to do to the best of your degree, passing on the baton to them. But it's the same way in spiritual life. Every one of us has got kids. We're preparing them to get up in stride so that when they become adults, they're well-equipped to be able to continue the journey and they'll be successful in life. We know there's going to be things that they learn later on that we're not able to teach them, right? But we have got to be prepared as believers in the body of Christ. Look, there's things that I need to learn from you. There's things that you can learn from me. There's things that we can learn from each other because each of us have been equipped in different ways and we've all got different gifts that we can share with one another. Please don't come to church and think that Pastor David's going to download to us everything that we need so that we're equipped for life. No, no, no. God will bring a consensus to what he's doing through us, through what happens, not only through me, but through the people that he brings to share here. But what's going on in the ministry is... The interactions that you have with each other through the week and the praying with one another and the strengthening of one another, those cords that tie us together, that, that bind us together and help us grow strong, that then when we're all pulling our weight together, that we're much stronger than we would ever be by just depending on one person. We, we each have something to, to share in the body of Christ. But folks, we need to find people that we can pass the baton to. If you're a leader in ministry, if you're a leader in a ministry, you need to be bringing someone alongside you that you can help mentor in that ministry. You need to strengthen them, raise them up, give them opportunities to take part and, and to lead and, and to, to take the lesson or to whatever that, that thing is. Let them put the schedule together. Let them do things. But mentor somebody so that, so that you're not the only one that can do that job. Pass the baton. Get them to the place to where as they're running, as they've grown in their ministry gifts and in their abilities, that they can match step with you. Because the body of Christ is much better for it. When we pass the baton to the next generation, I know everybody says, well, you know, we're looking for Jesus and everything. Yeah, let's do that. Let's keep looking for him. But until he comes, we run. We run. We don't walk. We don't stand around and wait and just look at the sky. We run because the world's dying without it. We're called to run. Do you have somebody? Please dig deep. Do you have somebody that you're running alongside? Somebody that God has put in your life that you're able to mentor 
Somebody that you're able to strengthen? Do you know somebody that needs the Jesus that's inside of you? Has God brought someone close enough to you in a relationship? Has God crossed the, your paths with somebody that you can pour into? I, I'm just fascinated with what Holy Spirit does. It's just amazing to me. I won't take time to go there. But even last week when we talked about grieving and we prayed over about grieving and grief, even at lunch that day, God created an opportunity for that same ministry. I mentioned what the, the dream that I'd had before I awakened. I mentioned the fact that we'd prayed over grief, and then at that lunch, God continued that same flow of ministry. Somebody that we, we met for lunch talked about how God had just healed them for from 20, 27 years of not grieving over a family member that they had lost. And they came with tears to the table and, and shared that story. But it was just amazing. I love that. It just feels, I tell you, I just, it feels like I'm caught up in this powerful river of the Lord, and it's just moving. It's moving. And I feel like I've got out of the place where I'm just feeling the current, it's not just around my ankles, but I'm bound to the earth. And I want to encourage you to do this. Just jump in. Just jump in. Learn to lift your feet up so you're not dragging your feet on everything that God wants to do. Look, God is moving in this earth. If you're out there and you're thinking, well, where's God? What's God doing? He is moving. You just need to get in the river. Just learn to go with his flow. Let God guide and direct you, and you'll find God taking you in places. Make yourself available to him, and you'll find God opening doors. I love that. When I had these interactions with people, there was, uh, there was a young lady that, uh, that I went to the truck stop down in Kenley. You know the truck stop with the lighthouse and everything down there? <clears throat> and uh, I walked in there uh, with my son, and we were buying a sandwich, and... Um, um, it was her first day at work, and she, I think she messed up our order, uh, not the order, but the, the payment thing twice messed up on the register. She said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I looked at her, and there was a, a connection right there, and uh, I remember looking her in the eyes and speaking into her spirit, I said, look, this is your first day. Don't worry about this. You'll get it. You'll get it. And she went ahead and did the thing. Two days later, my son said, can we go get so-and-so? And so we went right back to the same place, and there that young lady was. I said, look, I said, this is, this is your third day. She said, no, it's my second day. She said, I was off yesterday. And here we are on her second day. Looked like stalkers. Now, we, we were there on her second day, and she was doing better. But I remember God, there was definitely a connection there, and it stood out to me that that was an unusual thing, that here we are on her second day of work, and we are appearing once again in front of her. And we really don't go there that often. Lo and behold... And then about two weeks later, Chris and Denise brought that young lady to service here. And I went up to her to introduce myself to her. She said, I've already met you twice. And I realized that was a God connection. You know, to speak blessings over her life. May God guide her and direct her. You know, isn't that amazing, though? You, you, you ever have those instances where you have a conversation or a connection with someone you recognize? That's a God you, there's more than just saying hi or something like that. Get in the river right there at that place. 
What is it that God wants to generate in that conversation? What's God wanting to say to them? Don't just think it a strange thing and back away, but just step into that thing. Initiate the conversation and see where the Holy Spirit takes it. You'll multiply. You'll duplicate. You'll find someone that in some way you're passing a baton to. They'll get some truth. They'll get some insight. You'll light a spark in their life. You'll set hope in motion inside of them. And hope... Love them. The love will open the door for hope. Hope will allow their faith to be ignited and they'll start growing in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to stand. Thank you for being so patient. I did have extra time and I took it today. But it's not 12 o'clock yet. Can I ask you something? Would you just commit yourself to this journey? Let's make ourselves available to the Lord. We are going to maintain what we've done in the Lord, but we are going to continue to mature in the Lord. And as we're maturing, we're also going to multiply. We're going to share that life with people we come in contact with because we're locked into God's purpose and plan. Amen? And we're not just going to be knowers, we're going to be doers, right? Amen. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word because, Lord, it is not just pen and paper. It's not just something to tickle the ears, Lord, but it's something that gives life on the inside. So, Lord, I understand that all this spiritual warfare that we're talking about has to have a purpose, and that purpose has to become the focal point, your God, because it's a reason for even standing up and fighting the battle, and so that we don't get weighed down in it and just feel like, what am I fighting for? There is a purpose behind this, Lord. That purpose is that we're here to see souls come into your kingdom. God, we're here to to honor you and live lives that bring honor to you, Lord, in face of whatever adversity the enemy brings. But God, I thank you, dear Lord, that you have equipped us with everything that we need to fight this battle, God, and you will help us to stand against the wiles of the enemy, we'll stand against the attacks of the enemy, and Lord, when the battle is done, we'll be ready to stand firm then. We'll continue to stand. God, I pray your blessings upon each one. Let your grace and your peace be multiplied to us. Would you just out of your own heart say, Lord, I take hold of that. And I commit myself to the journey. Hallelujah. Now the Lord may begin identifying to you places where the enemy has had you snared, that it's been so familiar where it feels like it's a part of your identity, but it's not what God's called you to be. So as you walk through this week, just pray for the Holy Ghost to come and take the pliers and cut you free from that past so that you can begin walking what God's called you to do. If you need help, call us. Contact us. Call somebody. Call somebody God puts on your heart. And we, if, we don't have, if we, we're not able to help in whatever area that is, we'll find somebody to help you. But let's be the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being patient. I really preached a long time.